calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we examine the world through our personal feminist perspectives. And I feel like a broken record, but I just know that the first time we don't do this is going to be the first time somebody listens and they're going to be like, they got all this stuff wrong. And it's like, so... I need to give this disclaimer <laughs> that these are mostly our, it's an opinion-based podcast. We try. And I feel like we do a pretty good job. Yeah. But sometimes like we don't do like any research at all. And yeah. And are just like, fuck it, let's just talk. Which yeah. I mean, I guess like in some parts we are like that. Yeah, that, but the, those are the parts that are going to get us in trouble. I'm not worried yeah. about like the like book the report notes. stuff. Yeah. Because I'm like that, we've done our homework on. Yeah. But if we just go off about something and have a rant and we get something wrong. Yeah. Um, let us know. Call I us mean, in on it. Yeah, and, you know... Be what, nice about it. That's what editing is for, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. This week, we will be discussing black trailblazers. Mm-hmm. So, um, women who kind of came in and shook up the game, changed the game for black women in society. And we're going to do it kind of like book report style, like we did for the uh, Rosa Parks uh, Claudette Colvin episode. I just love doing them that way. Mm-hmm. So much fun. And uh, next week, we will have a similar setup where we will talk about black women who made a difference in the feminist movement. Yes, black feminists for the last week of... Black History Month, which I think is appropriate. It has been a lovely Black History Month. I've enjoyed it. Um, (laughs) I actually really, really love doing these episodes. Like, they're some of my favorites. I got so into this week's, it's been crazy. Yeah, yeah. I've been enjoying it too. Okay, so we just want to jump right in? Yeah. Okay. Um, We both want to go first. I I know. I know. (laughs) We go first so bad. Okay, you go first next time because you went first last time. I know. Okay. I'm so excited. Let me get out my notes. You hear that? Paper, Paper, paper. I was almost late because I was trying to, like, type everything out on my computer and then send it to my iPad. I tried to be concise, but then I had to learn something new, and I'd be like, oh, you gotta put that in. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, well, you gotta That's put that in. That's why I wrote everything down on, like, graph paper, mm-hmm. and I had literally seven pages of notes, and then I went back and, like, highlighted as I went, like, what was the background? What's what important? was this? Yeah. And then also, yeah, also what's important, because I watched so many, like, little short, like, documentaries or, like read all these articles with, like, conflicting things, too, where I'm just like, fuck, wait, what's the right one? Yeah, then you have to, like, fact check. 
Mm-hmm. Lots of highlighting, lots of purple and blue Sharpie. I don't know why I love writing in Sharpie so much, but there's something it that's is, so yeah, satisfying. It's satisfying. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Well, I feel like I should also give the disclaimer that um, I'm not drinking wine today. I, I feel like I owe our audience that, that they should know that. I mean, she's drinking vodka. I am drinking a Bloody Mary. As it's medicine. It's not. It's not a fun cocktail. It is a med- medicinal cocktail to um, help me recover. Because from l- last night's cocktails. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's You've wrong. You've been hung with me. over for a few episodes. Well, no. I, I was hung over the one episode that we did not air. Oh. <laughs> but I, I haven't been hung over since we've been recording, but I just like and I wasn't even really hung over. It was just a very disorienting experience this morning because I woke up in bed in the clothes I was wearing last night. With my makeup on, don't know if I brush my teeth. My uh, my Invisalign was not in my mouth, which is a big deal. You shouldn't leave them out for yeah. that long. And um, I don't know. That's crazy. So no I've wine never, for me. I've never even gotten close to that. That's insane to it's, me. It's like and a, if I'm drunk the night before, I cannot drink alcohol at all. Bloody Marys help me. They actually do help me. I don't like Bloody Marys. I don't like tomatoes. I don't. I mean, I like I like ketchup. I like sun-dried tomatoes. I do not like raw tomatoes of any kind, or tomato juice. I don't like tomato juice, but I like Bloody Marys. It's a weird thing. You're a weird know. person. I like, um, uh, what are those ones with beer, too? I don't know. Is that like a Bloody know. Mary with beer instead of vodka? I don't those like, are good too. I don't like beer. <laughs> okay, so, since we've rambled for, like, a full five minutes. And we've talked about how male listeners don't like that. They don't like it. But whatever. I don't care. <laughs> they do not like it. Um, yeah, we covered pens. We covered hangovers. <laughs> um, so I think we're ready to get into it. I'm like ready. I mean, we almost up. started and then we stopped. So we should probably start. Yeah, we gave them a tease. Yeah. Mm. We were like, oh, we're going to talk about it. <laughs> Honestly, kidding. we should just put in our show notes, like, look, if you don't if like you it, skip, skip to this That's minute. what I was thinking. Yeah. That's a good idea. I like yeah. it. I dig it. Yeah, we should do that. All right. Okay. Go. <clears throat> I'm ready. Hem. Who are you going to teach me about? Mine is a secret. Um, <laughs> my black feminist of the week is Sojourner Truth. Do you know anything about Sojourner Truth? Uh, tell me, and I might. Because something she, about the name is ringing a bell, but I don't know what bells it's ringing. I feel like she often got confused... Look, teachers are, like, Russian to get in all the black history. I thought you were just trying to say that teachers are Russian. No. (laughs) Rushing without the G with an apostrophe. Um, They are Russian to get uh, all of the black history in in one month, I feel like. In 28 days. In 28, yeah. Let's be clear. It's not a month. It's 28 days. Well, I was going to say, we should have an extra week of Black History Month, but then that's Women's History Month. Yeah, I know. They do that on purpose, so you can't linger on one for too long. Yeah. (sighs) Fucking shit on us the whole time. I know. Yeah. Fucking patriarchy. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, but I feel like they try to cram in so much that I feel like Sojourner Truth oftentimes gets mixed up and confused with Harriet Tubman. Mm. And they did not do remotely the same, the same thing, s- sort okay. of thing. Well, tell me about her, and I'm gonna let you know if the bells start ringing in my head. Okay, just ding, 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 whenever. Ding, 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 okay. ding, ding. Okay, so Jerner Truth was born Isabella Bomfrey to James Bomfrey, a slave who was captured from modern day Ghana, and Elizabeth. I loved this, also known as Mau Mau Bet. Which I'm like, ooh, Mau Mau, like M A U M A U. Mau Mau. Mau Mau. That sounds like a good cat name. Yeah, I like it. Oh, my next cat should like be Mau Mau. Like Meow Mau Mau. Yeah. 
who was the daughter of slaves from Guinea. The Bomfries were originally owned by Dutch-American Colonel Johannes Hardenberg. I wrote, fun fact, the way I wrote this is really confusing to me. Isabella and the Bomfries did not speak English during this time, only Dutch, as that was the language of their master, which I thought was interesting. Um, however, when she was sold at the age of nine, along with a flock of sheep for $100... Wait, the, the daughter was yeah, Isabella, it, Isabella at the time, was, yeah. was sold, not the whole family, just Isabella. Right. With so, sheep. So what happened was, and I didn't include everything in this, but I guess that guy died... Johannes got it. Died, and then his slaves changed hands and went to yeah. his son because they were property. And then something happened with his son. I don't know if he died or what happened. But then they switched hands again, or the estate was sold. Okay, and so the family was sold and split up. So what the fuck? Yeah, that sucks. she. Yeah, yeah. No, I know what happened. I know what happened a lot. I'm not like naive to that, but it just like it always kind of. Makes me mad. Yeah, it's really, really sad. Because, I mean, this is a nine-year-old child. Yeah. I've actually seen conflicting reports whether or not it was nine or 11. It's still Either young. way, really Either way, terrible. it's still, yeah. And to be sold with a flock of sheep... Yeah. ...for $100 oof. is devastating. Oofity oof. Yeah. Um, so... She switched hands several times, uh-huh. uh, which sounds weird because it makes me feel like I'm talking about a chair, mm-hmm. but she did switch owners several times before ultimately becoming the property of a particularly harsh slave owner mm-hmm. named John Dumont. And she actually did a lot of writing about that period of time in her life and mm-hmm. about um, experiencing sexual abuse, of course, a lot of physical abuse. Yeah. Um, she actually fell in love with a slave who he would not allow her to marry. So, yeah, and instead, like, forced her to marry someone else. Yeah. You know? Remind me what year this is again. Um, well, she was born in... Why don't I have the year she was born in? Mm, so, I think she was born in, like, the late late 1700s. Like, okay. the 1790s. Okay. Um, so, we're talking... At this point, we're probably heading into 1810s, 18... Okay. All right. That's all speculation. I just want... It's fine. I just wanted somewhat of, like, a mental picture uh, Yes. Head. We're pre-Civil War. Got it. In, Got New, it. in New York, whenever um, okay. slavery was still uh, legal in New York. Right. At this time. In 1827, after her master failed to honor his promise to free her or to uphold the New York anti-slavery law oh, of okay. 1827, Isabella ran away, or, as she later informed her master, I did not run away. I walked away by daylight. <laughs> She was badass as no, fuck. No, no. She was like, excuse he- me, I did not run away. I walked away by daylight. And she managed to escape with her infant daughter, Sophia, but had to leave her other two children behind. Was Sophia born from her master, or was Sophia born, and her other children, born from the slave she was in love with? Not the slave she was in love with, but the slave she was forced to marry. Oh, yeah. got it, got it. She okay. had, like, five children with him, but I know she had, like, 13 children total, so... Holy. I just remember I learning know. about that in college, where they would talk about, like, how... Again, I think this would kind of be a colorism thing as well, how, like, even if a slave owner was the father of, like, a slave child, they would kind of, like, disown it, because it was still... Mm-hmm. The child was still, um, like, black. Well, a lot of times what they would do, as we see with, like, Sally Hemings, who... Do you know who Sally Hemings is? I do. Well, she was the mistress of Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. I never I can't believe I just said that. She was not his mistress. I don't like that people use that kind of language. Right. But it's a com- but I mean it is a common way for people to understand pe- what it is. To understand what like- the relationship is, but you cannot have a consenting relationship with 
one, a 14-year-old, which is when he started sleeping with her, or two, a slave. No, that's not, that's, that is rape, rape, you know, yeah, it doesn't matter what her feelings later became, you know, people get Stockholm Syndrome all the time. Exactly, that's how it started. Yeah. Well, it's just interesting because I remember learning something about, like, the drop of blood rule, where it's like, if your blood is... You're black. Yeah, the one drop rule. But the things that they would do, though, like, that's what happened in that case. So I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Sally Hemings was actually Thomas Jefferson's wife's sister. (laughs) Yeah. Wait a second. Explain that to me. So Thomas Jefferson's wife. Yeah. Her father Uh had sex with a slave or raped a slave. And Sally Hemings Hemings is his daughter. So Thomas Jefferson was... Sleeping with his wife's sister. Biological sister. Right. But she was, I mean, obviously she wasn't claimed in that way. No. But she still, but a lot of times what they would do was move them into the house. Whenever they, like, move their children into the house, they would become house slaves. Partially because, one, as we talked about last week in the um, hair episode, it was partially because they thought that lighter skin and um, everything that went along with that, looser hair, all of those things. They were easier to be tamed. Easier to be tamed. Smarter. More reliable they attributed those features to those traits. So they would have them, like, live in the house with them. Yeah. I don't know if Sojourner Truth's children, if any of them were Well, I mean, she she had to leave. That must have been hard to just have to, like, separate Leave your children. children. Yeah, and that comes up later. Okay. I don't know what happened to one of her children. So she took Sophia, and then she had a daughter and a son, a five-year-old son, who was there. Don't know what happened to the daughter. Okay. But shortly after her escape, Truth learned that her son Peter, then five years old, had been illegally sold to a man in Alabama. She took the issue to court and eventually secured Peter's return from the South. The case was one of the first in which a black woman successfully challenged a white man in United States court. Totally. That is insane. Like, just think about the balls it would take or the ovaries that it would take to do that. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, that would, at that time, that's crazy that she yeah. could have done that. It's crazy that the courts um, even listened, listened and, door in their, and in upheld face. that because, I mean, technically she was right. He That law was no longer in place. There was an anti-slavery law in New York. So he had no right to Be sell anybody. To somebody in Alabama. Right. Yeah. Even though sla- slavery would have still been legal in Alabama. It was correct? legal in Alabama, but it was not legal in New York. Well, so that's you what I'm saying. It's that, like yeah. it's still, like, even though you're selling to a place where mm-hmm. it's still legal, yeah. like... It's still not legal from the place that you mm-hmm. were selling. Yeah. But, I mean, this sort of thing happened all the time. Like, 12 years a slave, that's, sure. that's what happened to him. He was a free man who was, like, captured and sold into, the, into slavery in the South. But I can't even imagine the guts that it would take. Yeah. She's one of the most, like, brave, courageous women oh, yeah. in history, I feel like, to oh, do yeah. something like that. And so smart. Yeah. After rescuing her son, she became a traveling preacher and changed her name to Sojourner Truth, which I just love that. I love the way that sounds. How Sojourner do you spell Truth. Sojourner? Sojourner. So it's S O J O U R N E R. It's it's like a journeyman. I you was know? just gonna say it sounds like journey. Yeah, because she was travel a traveling preacher. So yeah. she was and she was journeying and, and telling the truth. You know what I mean? I just love that. Isn't that great. How beautiful is that? And beautiful to to give your self a name yeah you know what I mean and decide I kind of love the agency taking ownership over yeah what that represents kind of taking ownership over your life okay so she changed her name to Sojourner Truth and was soon working alongside abolitionists such as Frederick Douglass for both the freedom of slaves and she was one of the first people to really start pushing and advocating for women's suffrage love it so she was not only a black rights activist 
And she was also a women's rights activist and a very loud proponent for women's rights. Well, that's what's amazing is that, like, a lot of times people, women would be women's advocates, but they would kind of forget the race part and would be very racist, which we, mm-hmm. I think we touched on in the Women's March episode a mm-hmm. little bit. And we'll, we will talk about uh, the first week of uh, Women's History Month when we cover yeah. suffrage. And on that same hand, like, when we're discussing that, women were left out of the black rights movement as well, like the civil rights movement. Yeah. You know, so... so well, yeah, Rosa you, Parks was being told to be a secretary instead of being treated as the right, powerful but person she spe- is. Specifically in this time, like yeah. in like, you know, pre-Civil War era, like yeah. pre-Civil War era. Well, I mean, all the way through, but yeah. specifically in this time, it was just like people who lived or existed in those intersections of being both a woman and a black woman were being left out of conversations for women's suffrage, and they were also being left out of conversations for black freedom and abolition. Yeah. You know, so it was kind of like, she was the OG, like, intersectional feminist. Like, she was just like, look, man, I exist in both of these identities, and I'm not going to be forced to pick which liberation I want. You know what I mean? Or to even choose to be left out of them. Like, she's going to do something about being a part of it. Right. Not not stand for being a bystander. Right. Um, Truth focused most of her energy on the plight of black women who were often ignored in the women's suffrage movement and who she feared abolitionists would forget after black men received their freedom and the right to vote. So she was just like, hey, we're here. Hi. I love it. It was in 1851 at the Ohio Women's Rights Convention in Akron, which I love that there was a women's rights convention in in 1851. Um... Where Truth would deliver her now famous Ain't I a Woman speech. That's how I know her. Yeah. That discussed the hypocrisy of so-called male chivalry Mm -hmm. that was used as an excuse to keep women from voting. She pointed out that while men claimed that women were delicate and needed to be given special care due to their so-called nature, she was never offered such courtesies and was strong and not delicate. Yeah. And yet was still considered a woman. This pointed out that not only were black women treated less courteously than white women were in terms of chivalry, but that the idea that women's very nature was a delicate one was nonsense because she was clearly a woman from her ability to bear children and cry with a mother's grief over their loss, yet was as strong as any man. And I just love that she gave this speech because I've also... She gave it also to a lot of... um, white women in yeah. the crowd. She was addressing both issues at the same time. So she was talking to white women to say, like, you're fighting for something, but ain't I a woman, too? Like, I'm yeah. a woman, too, and you need to be fighting for my freedom, too, because they didn't want to do that. They thought it was too um, too much to try and take on at one yeah. time. And then also speaking to the men in the room who were... I think she was actually talking to the men in the room because they were trying to, like, chime in at a women's conference, of course. They were interrupting that entire... <laughs> conference and trying to say, well, we just want, you know, we just want to treat you like women. We want to give you the best of everything. We want to, you know, be able to, like, open doors for you. And We don't care what you think. And and she's like, excuse me, um, I've been, like, working in the fields, picking cotton. You've been, like, beating me up, basically, my entire life. You're going to open doors for me, really? But, <laughs> and, and I'm a woman, too. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. Even in abolitionist circles, some of Truth's opinions were considered radical. She sought political equality for all women and chastised the abolitionist community for failing to seek civil rights for black women as well as men. 
She openly expressed concern that the movement would fizzle after achieving victories for black men, leaving both white and black women without suffrage or any other key political rights. During the Civil War, Truth recruited black troops from, uh, for the Union Army and on more than one occasion met Abraham Lincoln to speak out about her beliefs and life experience. Truth continued to agitate for change even after the, the Emancipation Proclamation. agitate? Ag- yeah, that's it. Oh, she was an agitator. Oh, okay. okay. I was like, wait, did, was that a typo? No, sorry. Continue. no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My bad. Uh, Truth continued to agitate for change even after the Emancipation Proclamation, even trying to force the desegregation of streetcars in Washington by intentionally riding in cars designated for whites. So she was uh-huh. going She was going hard all the time. Like, she was just, like, never stopping. Like, it's yeah. not... It, which I think is just, like, such a great model that we should model our lives after. Like, yes. she was just like, there's always something else. Like, we might... You might have given the Emancipation Proclamation, but guess what? We still have segregated streetcars. What's up with that? Yeah. I'm going to ride in those streetcars over there. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm going to do what I want because I deserve as much freedom as anybody else. Yeah. But she was also taking on such tremendous risk doing these things. Even in the North, she's making herself such an incredible target. Oh, yeah. You know, um, so I just think that's super, super bomb. Mm -hmm. Until old age intervened, Truth continued to speak passionately on the subjects of women's rights, universal suffrage, and prison reform. So she was truly, like, like I said, just, like... Just always looking for the next thing that can be better. And so intersectional. Like, she's just like, I don't just want freedom for me. I want freedom for all people. And if you're unfree, you know, then I can't be truly free. I mean, what what a forward way of thinking. I feel like for a lot of people, it's like, they don't think of the way that others live until it's, like, exposed to them. Like, until you've met someone, or until you've seen a show. Or or, until it affects them personally. Right. Until, or even if it's just, yeah, if they know somebody or have seen something that has moved them, is when they start, which is fine. Like, I think that if that's, whatever it takes for you to get to that point, I think it's a it's great. For me, I know that's how a lot of things that I've learned about, it's been a very personal thing mm-hmm. that's happened to me. So the fact that she's able to, like... Well, I, I think when you've experienced such incredible injustice that, that she experienced, I think yeah. your eyes are more open to see injustice everywhere. Yeah. So it's not just... You didn't, to she me, didn't have like, to go prison to prison. Prison reform is, like, something that it's, like, amazing to me that that she was able to, like, recognize. Well, prison... It's something that's still not very Prisons were highly racist. They still are. Yeah. But at that time, they were super, super racist. It was, you know, I mean, if you've watched 13th, it was another form of slavery, essentially. Like, so they could arrest black people for doing anything. Yeah. So I'm sure that that was part of it for her. But, yeah, I think once you've experienced just such incredible... um, yeah, injustice that you see it everywhere and you want to put a stop to it everywhere. I think that's great. She was also an outspoken opponent of capital punishment, um, testifying before the Michigan State Legislator against the practice. Sojourner Truth died in her home in Battle Creek, Michigan on November 26, 1883, and she is buried alongside her family at Battle Creek's Oak Hill Cemetery. Fun fact. <laughs> Another one. Another one. Fun fact numero dos. Um, so during her truth was friends with Susan B. Anthony and collaborated with her until her death in 1883. Love it. And all of this information, I, I did double check information from several different sources to make sure that they were as correct as possible. So I got all of this information from nps.gov, which is the National Park Service. The Odyssey. Yeah, I think that they have a park, like there's a park. Like, That's cool. Um, the Odyssey Online and biography.com. 
And I do have Sojourner Truth's Ain't I a Woman speech mm. here. That Give it. I will read for you now. Um, I, I watched a video of Kerry Washington doing this speech. <gasps> I'm not going to try and do it like her because no. she did it so freaking well. But, do you, but that's, as an actress, you should know. Yeah, I should try and find... It has to be your own personal experience of it. Yeah, well, I'm not going to perform it in no, that way for this podcast, but I will try and find it and share it either to the Facebook page or if I can find parts of it, we can maybe share it to Instagram. Instagram. So I'll see. Um, okay, so Sojourner Truth. Oh, this says she was born in 1797. There you go. So Sojourner Truth, Ain't I a Woman, delivered 1851 at the Women's Rights Convention in Akron, Ohio. <clears throat> well, children... Where there is so much racket, there must be something out of kilter. I think that twixt the Negroes of the South and the women of the North, all talking about rights, the white men will be in a fix pretty soon. But what's all this here talking about? That man over there says that women need to be helped into carriages and lifted over ditches and to have the best place everywhere. Nobody helps me into carriages or over mud puddles or gives me any best place. And ain't I a woman? Look at me. Look at my arm. I have plowed and planted and gathered into barns, and no man could head me. And ain't I a woman? I could work as much and eat as much as a man when I could get it, and bear a lash as well. And ain't I a woman? I have borne thirteen children and seen most all sold off to slavery. And when I cried out with my mother's grief, none but Jesus heard me. And ain't I a woman? Then they talk about this thing in the head. What's this they call it? Intellect. That's it, honey. What's that got to do with women's rights or Negroes' rights? If my cup won't hold but a pint and yours holds a quart, wouldn't you be mean not to let me have a little half-measure full? Then that little man in the black there, he says women can't have as much rights as men because Christ wasn't a woman. Where did your Christ come from? Where did your Christ come from? From God and a woman. Man had nothing to do with him. If the first woman God ever made was strong enough to turn the world upside down all alone— these women here together ought to be able to turn it back and get it right side up again. And now, they is asking to do it. The men better let them. Obliged to you for hearing me. And now, old Sojourner ain't got nothing more to say. <laughs> Isn't she fantastic? Oh, I like just she, closing my eyes and just, like, living that for a minute. That was Yeah, beautiful. she's a truly, like badass lady Just. of history who did so much for women's rights and black rights and um i love her i love her too <laughs> let's see we have grandma rosa we have auntie, auntie claudie and can she be godmama yeah godmama truth yeah i like that yeah mm -hmm. okay i like it too <laughs> and this will be our sister Hey there, listeners. Keegan here. Did you know that our girl Madigan is coming out with her own adult coloring book? The inappropriate coloring book is chock full of feminist slogans, curse words, and potty humor, all framed by Madigan's awesome hand-drawn designs. The full book isn't available just yet, but if you'd like to purchase individual prints or just check out what's to come, follow the Instagram page at the inappropriate coloring book or check out her Etsy page at etsy.com slash shop slash be more inappropriate. Today, <laughs> I'm here to talk about a woman who I adore named Syria Bonnelly. I love this Bonnelly. Bonnelly? She's French. I'm going to say Bonnelly. We got to stop doing French things. I don't know. I had to look it up, and Chris was like, what are you listening to? Because I kept looking how to say certain French names. Mm -hmm. 
she's amazing. So I'm going to get try to get through this as, as quickly as I can because I have a lot of information, but I'm sure... I'm sure we'll get through it. Surya Bonnelly was born Claudine in Nice, France in December 15th, 1973. She was born Claudine? She was in... born Claudine. No, her name was Claudine when she was born. Oh. Oh. So this is this is the thing. So she she was adopted at 18 months by her parents, Suzanne, and uh, it looks like George's, but I guess it's like Georges. Yeah, probably. Bottle right. <laughs> and they renamed her Surya, which is S-U-R-Y-A. Kind of sounds okay. like Syria when I'm talking, but it's Surya. Okay. To make her sound more exotic, her parents and coaches, who one of her coaches was her mom. Her mom was like a PE teacher turned figure skating coach or something like that. Mm-hmm. They started telling people that she was actually born on the island of Reunion, which looks like Reunion, which is near Madagascar. It wasn't until Syria was 18 that she discovered her real birthplace. What the hell? Yeah. They, That's really fucked up. It's super fucked up. Well, because they wanted to play off of her, like, Yeah, that's also exotic. fucked up. It's are her parents white? Super, um, I think they're lighter skinned. I can't remember if they're white or not, but I think they are. They're definitely... She's pretty... She's very dark skinned. Yeah, she is very dark skinned. So, I've seen her. But. Yeah, they're definitely... Yeah, I think, I think they might be white. I can't remember. I know I saw a photo, and I'm not really remembering if they were maybe, like, mixed raced or something. But she actually started out as a gymnast, and she she skated a bit, and she was kind of, like, she was at, like, a, like, national level of gymnastics. Like, she was winning shit and, like, doing really, really good. And then when she got older, she kind of had to, like, choose a lane to take, and she wanted to be a figure skater. She loved skating the most. And... Within So, at the age of 11, she started solely figure skating, and within two years, she was competing on international events, and even won bronze at the 1989 Junior Worlds. Within two and years... And how old is she? Sorry. She would have been 13 when that happened. Okay, wow. She was, like, a trailblazer. She was landing jumps at 13 that girls wouldn't even attempt at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, well, her gymnastics background probably really helped her with that. Oh, yeah, for real. Mm-hmm. But you'll see later how it also hindered her. So the next year, she placed second behind Japan's Yuko Sato, a judge favorite. Uh, Surya believed that she was scored unfairly by the judges, and she actually refused to stand on the podium at the medal ceremony. <laughs> when her name was called, she tearfully took off her medal, and the crowd booed her, and the media tore her apart. She, and I'll talk more about this later, too, but she was seen as being too muscular. She skated like a gymnast, they would say. Right, yeah. And they didn't they didn't like that. Again, I'll get to that later because there's it's a whole other can of worms. But first I want to talk about her labeling. There was a common theme in all the articles and all the videos that I watched. Uh, they all included words like rebellious and bad girl. While some may have seen her this way and found it empowering, I believe that if a white girl had attempted these things she did, the media would use adjectives like brave or unique or yeah. go-getter. Yeah, absolutely. Everything was like, like even, um, so I'm going to talk about a documentary that Retta did, the woman from Parks and Recreation. Love her. She was a huge fan of Siri Bonnelly when she was growing up, and it's called Rebel on Ice. Mm-hmm. All of them, the bad girl of skating, the rebel, the blood, you know, it's all very, like, while it could be seen as positive, I feel like for a lot of people, a rebel and a bad girl is commonly seen as negative, especially, like, in the late 90s. Well, I feel like it's 
kind of similar. I feel like these are are issues of race and class. That, you know, exactly. because I feel like it's the same kind of language and 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 mentality that was used about Tanya Harding. You know what I well, mean? Well, and that's the thing is that and Tanya Harding and Surya had a lot of similarities where they were both they were built very similar similarly. Mm-hmm. They were shorter, they were stockier, they had muscle, they were jumpers. They and they were not skated, artistic. They skated athletically. But at the yeah. same time, and this is something that I will argue anybody I believe that Surya was definitely more athletic than Tanya Harding mm-hmm. ever was. She, the only issue she had that Scott Hamilton brought up when she skated at the Olympics was that she would pause her choreography before a jump. You knew she was going for a jump. But at the same time, you see that all the time. Mm-hmm. When I was learning a jump, I would have elaborate setups before because your body needs to be used to a certain muscle memory to get into it. So even the setup can help you. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, but I've seen I think I've seen some of her jumps, and she she did, like, flips and stuff. Well, this that's what she's known for. She's known for the Bonnelay. So yeah. we're going to... this and then She's a trailblazer, girl. We're going to get there. So, Syria... <laughs> Syria was different than many of her fellow skaters. She was the first woman to attempt a quad toe loop in Worlds in 1991. For those who don't know, a quad is four turns in the air, typically only done by men. This year in the Olympics... Um, there was a woman attempting a triple axel from the U.S. Mm-hmm. There's been very few... Tanya Harding was the first woman to ever land a triple axel mm-hmm. in the U.S. competition. And um, very, very rare. So for a woman to be attempting a quad jump is huge. Mm-hmm. We've got some people doing it now, but again, this is in the early 90s. Um, and she was the first woman to be doing this. She also rarely wore tights when she skated, which sounds painful, um, because they didn't make tights that were her skin color. And I wrote, in fact, I can only ever remember one color of tights being sold at dress shops and competitions because they're, that's where I would get them. You mm-hmm. know, I'd go to competition and buy, you know, stock up on tights. I love that she's badass enough to be like, oh, you don't make my color, then I'm just not going to wear them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But ju- but again, this was another reason for judges to be like, this is not what we accept. That seems such bullshit, though. It's Why does it matter? total bullshit, and it's because they wanted to find reasons to to score her unfairly. And you'll see more and more of this as I go on. Oh, and I just wrote, I hope that that's improved since I was younger. Um, Surya is also the only person, not woman, not black skater, but person, to land a backflip on one foot. Yeah, that's what I've seen. I've seen her do that, which also sounds painful, let me tell you. Yep. And that is where the real controversy begins. Yeah. So it's an illegal move, right? It's illegal. So at a young age, Syria admired Norbert Schramm, or Schramm, Schramm? No. Schramm. <laughs> the only European who could do a backflip. Since Schramm was a friend of Syria's coach, she uh, had... You mean a backflip on ice? A backflip on ice, Okay, yes. I was like, in Sorry. general? No, backflip on The only on ice. person in Europe? <laughs> He was good. Um, And she has such a long history of gymnastics that she began to learn the skill herself. This brought a lot of negativity from fellow uh, skaters, coaches, and parents, where they were like, this is not okay. They said it was unsafe to do this at practice. So a rule was made pretty universally that if you were going to land a jump on ice, it had to be on one foot. What? Because Because they thought no one could do it. They didn't think you could do it. So when she began to show, but she could do it. She was amazed. She would do kind of like a layout position and land on one foot. When she began to show off her new move at practice sessions and ice shows, the skating world did not respond to it well. Surya says, some thought it was my technique to distract the skaters. And then she kind of goes like, (sighs) like she kind of scoffs, like whatever. 
sports journalist and commentator Christine Brennan, who she you should watch the documentary Rebel on Ice by Retta because mm-hmm. this chick pisses me off the entire time with how blatantly discriminatory she is toward her. Like, you can tell that this chick is probably a Trump supporter. Just kind of a racist bitch. Like, I mean, just the way that she... Is she American or is she French? No, she's American. The word... She's she's an American journalist and just the wording she used was just very, very negative. Uh, And I talk about her a little bit more. I use a few more of her quotes. Um... But she basically is like, okay, so she goes, said that Syria was doing the backflip for the media right in the face of Olympic favorite Yuko Sato. She announced herself and not in a good way. Um, uh, who cares who she's doing it for? Exactly. What does who, it matter? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Am I doing my backflip too close to your perfect little... Yeah. To me, that doesn't make any... That makes no sense to criticize someone. Because no. it doesn't they, matter. But they had... But they did that because there was no way they were going to give her that. They weren't going to be like, wow, what an amazing thing you can do. And in ice shows and stuff, you can do whatever you want. I mean, I've seen a million ice shows of of people doing backflips, and it's amazing. And that's what she was known for. And that really flies in the face of this, like, competitive spirit that I feel like happens in sports. Why would you be concerned about your competitor in that way? You're not concerned that you can do something that they can't do. Why why would you be like, don't do that in front of her? She can't do that. That's rude. Exactly. But like, because they wanted to protect the artistry, they wanted to maintain that as being the norm. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't the norm and she she liked not being the norm. She was like, I can be pretty and I can do this. There's a quote that I have written somewhere in here. She was like, I can be pretty and I can jump. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, she knew that she had it going on. So, this brings us to the 1998 Olympics in Nagano. Syria, I keep saying Syria. Syria had been recovering from an Achilles injury for the last two years and was placed sixth after her short program, which Syria believed was underscored by the judges. When she stepped on the ice in a beautiful, angelic-looking powder blue dress, she had, like, designers doing her dresses for her. They were gorgeous. She didn't really skate her best. She fell. She kind of under-rotated some jumps. She just, like, was not not on her game. Before her last planned jump at the program, she's at one end of the ice, and she kind of flashes this smile, and she's skating backwards really, really fast. And Scott Hamilton was the commentator who can do a backflip with two feet. And he sees what she's going for, and he's like, oh, she's going to do a backflip, and she does it. And holy shit, the crowd like went insane freaked out and like they're clapping along to her music with the beat and then she just like flies into that last spin and she finishes and she puts her arms up and her back is to the judges and she's like thank you audience for loving me (laughs) you know i like again i get goosebumps all the time when i talk about this shit and she just like she just gets off and she sits in a little kiss and cry and her mom is there her mom gives her a big kiss her coach is hugging her they're all like so happy and you and then they show they pan the audience and everyone's like they're sitting and like turning behind in their seats talking to the people around them like oh my god what are they gonna do what are they gonna do because it's illegal and by doing that she knew that she could have been disqualified but she also knew that that would be her last competition because she'd been struggling with an injury and it was her time she wanted to go out with so she was like fuck all of this like if i'm not gonna win the olympics i'm gonna leave my mark so, well, what they did is the jump just wasn't counted, but that still hurt her because then she didn't do all the necessary elements. She, so I she didn't place. She was eighth after the program, and I don't remember how she placed finally. I didn't look it up. I just remember seeing that they were like, after the long program, she's eighth. Um, notorious coach of skaters like Michelle Kwan and Gracie Gold quoted saying, there were probably some coaches that didn't like Syria because she was fast and got in the way of skaters. Which to, And then I said, which to that, I say, boo freaking who? 
Yeah, um, get out the way or keep up. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, th- this is the nature of competition. Exactly. But he, he also stated that he overheard judges commenting on her difference in body type compared to the other ice princesses. Right, which, which I is think, a problematic and term. I, I think it's something that we should also address is black people in general, black women, you know, fall, fall into this. That Like, that's something that Retta said. She was like, I saw a girl who was built like me. She was shorter, she had thicker legs, she you're, was very you're muscular. You're built like, and black women, black people tend to be pretty, like, have the potential to be pretty muscular. Um, so, even though they're not talking about her race, and even though, like, a lot of, you know, white women, especially ones with, like, g- you know, gymnastics backgrounds, yeah. could have that kind of body shape yeah. and build, you're not not talking about her race, but you you are. You it, are. It's the same thing that Missy um what was Missy Copeland, the yeah. the ballerina. She uh-huh. got that all the time. That exactly. she's too muscular. She's too muscular. And that was something for Retta that really resonated with her that she was seeing, you know, as she said, she was like, I saw a little black girl like me. And like that was built like her that could do amazing things. And um an interesting thing that I read talked about um how other young black girls didn't want to be a part of figure skating because that was something that white people were supposed to like. And yeah. if they were interested in it, they could get backlash from their peers and they could get backlash from the figure skating Well, community. it was the same thing it with... It was a catch-22. Um, I mean, we've seen this happen in sports over and over again. Exactly. We saw it happen with um, Venus and Serena Williams uh-huh. when they went into tennis, which is a, a, a traditionally white sport. Yeah. Which and figure skating is so white. It's super white. So and, white. And we saw it with Tiger Woods uh-huh. when he went into golfing, which is an incredibly white sport. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, we see it happen over and over again. And I do think that they when they go into traditionally white spaces, um, I do think they'll be judged harsher whether consciously or unconsciously subconsciously yeah well and they're judged by both sides they're judged by the people in their own you know race and ethnicity and they're judged by the white people who don't want them to be a part of it even if they're claiming they're not racist they're being racist Mm -hmm. um i mean until they become the best exactly because i remember in the 90s it was all about the williams sisters and oh yeah and and tiger Tiger Woods. woods black community was like Hell yeah. We already know. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's interesting because, like, there was only ever one girl that I remember skating with growing up who was black. And I'm, I think there was probably more, but there's one girl I remember competing against through most of my time skating. And I, I went to look for her on Facebook because I wanted to, like, reach out to her and ask her some questions so that I could maybe, like, follow up on this, like, another time. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find her anywhere. But I'm going to take another kind of moment just to touch a little bit on, like, the body image of figure skating side. We're talking about my friend JC. I was a smaller skater growing up. I had tiny little legs, which gained me the nickname The Flamingo by my coach. This made me, quote-unquote, the right body type for the sport at the time, but it by no means made me the best at my sport in my level. Um, My good friend JC struggled with accepting her body as a young skater. JC was strong, a real spitfire. I remember competing against her for the first time when I was 10 years old and getting my ass kicked by the girl who flew around the rink, landing axles higher than the rest of the competition. She skated with the cutest smile I've ever seen. Like, this girl was, like, nuts. She skated this, like, fast song and was, like, woof, 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 and, like, was daring. Like, would just fling herself in the air. Where, for me, I skated a little slower. I could jump, but I I wasn't, like, that. Um... Jay-Z dominated the Minnesota skating scene as a young girl and remained having crazy, crazy goo jumps, crazy good jumps through her whole skating career. 
And I remember wanting big, to be, be like, bigger and stronger like her. Like, we would do kickboxing together, and we did a lot of off-ice. We were both homeschooled together, and, like, I wanted to have, like, bigger, stronger legs like she did, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel like it was slowly starting to become more accepting, but, like, she would overhear people talking about her at competitions and saying things that were, like, not great. Like, this is showing that even when I was younger, having more of, like, an athletic body type was not seen as ideal, even though she was so amazing and undeniably great. She was more flexible than me. She was a faster spinner. Her artistic ability was insane. She was just great. To me, Syria and JC have a lot in common. They were both beautiful and strong athletes. Uh, Syria said in Retta's documentary, I can be pretty too, but I can jump. Mm-hmm. So to me, I feel like it's those are the people that I always really looked up to because it was different than me. And yeah. because they were so... They, they could be beautiful and they could be delicate, yet they could be dominating mm-hmm. in their in their athletic ability. I think it's an interesting thing, though, because to me, that quote, I, I mean, while I think it's great, like, for her to yeah. acknowledge that, because I think she's got so much, like, self-love um, and self-confidence, it's crazy to me, though, when you think about people like Tanya Harding who weren't necessarily interested in being beautiful, they were interested in being, like, mm-hmm. really good athletes, that women are judged, women, female athletes, not just in figure skating, but in, you know, tennis, in... Well, even in, in general, others, I feel in, like. In general, in general. We're like, judged on whether we're pretty or not. You're judged on whether but or I not think, you're beautiful. But I think when she's saying that... It's more of, like, a self-confidence thing. No, of course. It's like when I call someone beautiful, and they're like, oh, my God, but you're so pretty. I'm like, I know I'm pretty, but I'm calling you pretty, too. Yeah, no, I no, I appreciate that on, like, a self-confidence level, but yeah. I do want to address it because men don't have to be beautiful. No. <laughs> to, you know, to do well in sports. But then again, look at Michael Phelps and all of the, like... Uh, endorsement deals he's gotten and stuff because he's good looking. I don't think he's good looking. A lot of people think he's good looking. I think he's really unattractive, actually. He's kind of cute, but whatever. (laughs) I mean, he's kind of, there's parts about him that are unattractive and like, I I don't find him good looking. I don't have like a crush on him, but like, I I mean, I don't think, yeah, to me, I feel like he's getting those endorsement deals because he's a good athlete. I don't think he's necessarily getting them because he's. Well, then what about Ryan Lockkey, whatever his name is? He's an idiot. Exactly. But he doesn't have endorsement deals because he's an he idiot. He used to, but he used to. Yeah. But he, everyone was like, eh, 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 But he lost you. them. Yeah, yeah, he did. No, well, and I'm not, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. No, but no, I'm saying, I know, but I'm just... Like, I like, know what you mean. Male athletes are going to be questioned about their athleticism, right? Yeah. And they're going to be judged based on their athleticism. Whereas, yeah. like, female athletes will always get questions about what they're wearing. Oh, Whether totally. or not they're wearing makeup while they're, well, while they're yeah. playing their sport. You What's know what I mean? cool is that... Surya wore these, like, bodysuits, which, when I was growing up, you couldn't wear, but now you can. Um, But I think part of that may be because she didn't wear tights, too, that she was like, I want my legs covered. Uh But I don't know. I didn't read anything about that. But she would wear these, like, bodysuits, and that was completely different than anybody else was wearing. Um, So to kind of keep you up to date on Surya, she's kept skating a big part of her life. She's 41 years old, and she is still landing triples. At least in this article that I read, she might be a little older now. She's she looks the same, too. That black don't crack. She looks the same. She looks exactly the same. She's still landing triples. It's amazing. Um, in the late 2000s, she met Peter Biver, a Minnesota skater, and I wrote, I swear to you, I didn't know this when I started <laughs> reading about her. Um, but apparently, Biver was part of a Paris team of one of the girls that I like competed against my whole life's older sister, who I've grown up with. And... My coach knows both of them, which blows my mind. They were like, oh, yeah, she has such a great sense of humor. And I'm like, what? I need to meet her. 
And they're both coaches in Minnesota now. And her husband actually was a coach at the St. Paul Figure Skating Club, which is where I trained, uh-huh. which is bonkers to me. <laughs> uh, so here are some of her overall career accomplishments. She is one of the most decorated skaters of all time. She's three-time world silver medalist, nine-time French national champion, and five-time European champion. Wow. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, that's bonkers. I'm going to touch briefly on black figure skating. Because before Syria, there was uh, Mabel Fairbanks, who was the trailblazer of all of this. She was the first African-American woman indicted into the U.S. Figure Skating Hall of Fame at the age of 82, although she was never allowed to practice on sessions with other people or participate in competitions. She began the first integrated skating school. Um, I I feel like we should address that that's inducted. Shut the fuck up. And I was thinking that when I wrote it. I was like, should I call it inducted just to, like, make fun of myself? Because indicted is it's so funny. It doesn't look like it, Keegan. I know. Sorry. 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 I'm right. sorry. We'll, we'll cut that out. We'll cut that out. No, keep it. I like it. Okay. It says, um, Fairbanks had to... Oh my God, I'm like reading this in my own handwriting on graph paper that I've written in purple ink and then highlighted in pink. Fairbanks had to circumvent the segregation that barred her entry to practice rings in all U.S. competitions, so she developed her own ice shows and performed mostly black for mostly black audiences in Manhattan before becoming a coach who worked with some of the earliest black figure skaters, Babylonia and Thomas. So these are two other skaters that were kind of like known as the first black figure skaters. There was Ty Babylonia, who was half Filipino, and she identified as mixed race and didn't, she didn't really bring up any sort of racial issues. And um, neither did Debbie Thomas. Debbie Thomas didn't like to be seen as a black skater. She just wanted to be seen as a skater. It was something that she very, they very much had to repress, which I think was because at the time that was what you were supposed to do. A little right. bit, you know, I, oh, I'm colorblind, oh, there's this. And I think that they just ew. didn't want to be... No, I, I agree. I just feel like they were probably just like, I don't want to be a part of this narrative. But something that's interesting is that Mabel Fairbanks was their coach, and she she shielded them from discrimination because Debbie Thomas talks about how she never received any blatant racism, people calling me the N-bomb or anything like that, but there were coaches that wouldn't work with her. There were times that she felt like she wasn't scored properly and Fairbanks would right, kind it's, of... It's a more insidious form of, of yes. racism. Yeah. And, but to her at this time, she was like, well, they've never been explicitly racist, so can I say they've been racist? And Fairbanks very much kind of like shielded them i think she got the brunt of a lot of it from people and Mm -hmm. she would hear what they would say and then to kind of protect them would tell them a different story you Mm -hmm. know what i mean didn't didn't want them to feel like they couldn't do the same things because of the people that they were say that were kind of the naysayers and another girl that i want to talk about now who is like the up-and-coming badass her name is star andrews and if you guys have not watched any of her performances you probably have without realizing it because she went viral a few years ago for skating to I whip my hair back and forth I whip my hair Uh, back and forth when she was like nine years old I remember watching part of it and being like what is this but now I'm gonna go back and watch it so she skated at nationals this year 
for the first time in her in the senior category, mm-hmm. and she didn't place like in the top four, but people were like blown away by her. She's 16 years old. She's also attempted. She's actually, I think she's actually landed a triple axel somewhere in competition, and she skated to a cover that Beyonce did of the song "Fever" for her short program. Uh-huh. And in her long program, she sang a song by Whitney Houston that she sang herself. Oh, wow. She skated to her own that's cool. music. Yeah, that's super cool. And she, like, brought the house down. People went nuts. And what I think is cool is that she it, she wears for her short program a red bodysuit, which to me resembles Bonnelly. Oh, yeah. She's I'm probably like, influenced. Oh, oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. And I think that she, like, she is the one to watch. I think in a few years, like this year for the Olympics, the girls are good. But I think in a few years when these younger girls start maturing a little bit, mm-hmm they're going to blow the roof off of the place. And she's she's astonishing. And she's, again, she's, like, breaking down barriers in skating in general, but also, I feel like, for young black girls. And it's making it seem that, like, it doesn't you don't have to look a certain way to do this sport because it's mostly white and Asian. Yeah, that's true. You know? Yeah, I think representation matters. Totally. You know, it does matter. If you've not seen anyone like you do something before. I mean, there is that aspect of, like, being a trailblazer and being the first to do something, but you really... It, it feels so empowering whenever to you... To know that you have a place? <laughs> well, and to know that you can do it. Like, she's doing it. And yeah. and look at her doing it. And I, she can influence me and make me want to do that. Yeah. Like, representation is so important. You are always searching for people who look like us to maybe give us that kind of like validation that we can do that too yeah Yeah. and that's that's something for me that definitely you know warms my heart it's not something that i can personally empathize with but it's something that definitely warms my heart does she do partner skating now i swear to god i've seen the girl yeah oh i mean she might well a lot of times when when they would do like champions on ice sometimes they would do pairs, but I think you're thinking of the other French pair team that's competing yeah. at the Olympics this year. Okay, yeah, that's who I'm thinking of. Because yeah. they, I saw them do a um, their routine short, their to... short program the other night? Uh, no, I've not been watching them. Oh. What? I don't care. <gasps> I'm not gonna lie. I don't okay, care about well, the Olympics. Oh my god, don't um, say that to I don't, me. I'm sorry. I just don't care. I don't care about sports. Like, I, I could watch figure skating, but I'll wait But for... that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. But, girl, um, girl. No, I do like watching figure skating. I like watching gymnastics, but I'm kind of like, I'm not I also don't have any time. I'm also very busy. I'm just going to send you videos. (laughs) Yes, do that. See, that's the best way for me to consume things. Okay. Because I I saw a video of, um, they were doing a routine to Sound sound of Silence. It was so good. Like, I I think I shared it. Was it two black? No, it was one black woman and a white man yeah so that's the same team because there was a there was another pair of there was a black pair that was like the first black pair ever like in in 2010 there was a bunch of stuff i have no again okay i left all of my handwritten notes at home and i had all this shit written down that's okay there was another (laughs) but there was a a a black pair team i believe they were american but it's it's been a lot of french yeah but yeah it's amazing And and there is a there's a you know, the pair that we were just talking about are in the Olympics this year. I watched their short program. It wasn't great. It was I haven't fine. heard a lot of buzz about, like, American skaters. Like, I've heard a lot of buzz the about... The male, Nathan Chen. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. He's, he's the new quad king. He's good. The male skaters we have... Or, 
the female skaters is a girl who can land a triple axel, but she's never landed. Right, in but they don't really have any like stars. Like that's I what I'm seen saying. Any, like is, right now, there's no. Stars. Well, Ashley Wagner was, but she didn't get picked. G- gymnastics for... has kind of like there are tons of like gymnast stars who right. are like you know. Well, Ash- Ashley Wagner was kind of that, but right now it's more the male skating because as I'm going to talk about in the news segment, which is going to be posted before this episode, so it's weird. But I'm going to talk about Adam Rippon, who is the first openly gay oh. Olympic athlete. Oh, cool. So he is in the men's category, as well as Nathan Chen, who can complete an absurd amount of quads per program. But he fucking bombed the short, the first short program. But he has three more programs to go, so we have hope for Nathan. I love him. I don't know what any of that means. I'm not going to lie to you. Girl, <laughs> I'm not going to lie to me. you. Well, you're, you're about to learn. Um, so that's that's what I learned about Surya. I wrote, like, seven pages of notes, and I there's so much more, but that's the basics that you need to know she she is amazing i mean she set up a platform for female and male skaters and for black skaters and for skaters who come from a lower class bracket and like just just breaking barriers overall just knocking down walls knocking down walls overall just amazing and now that i know i have somewhat of something in common i hope that one day i'll get to meet her and i'm sure you will if you make that you know a priority if you if you want to i'm sure that they would introduce you you know what i mean oh my god i would love to (laughs) i mean i've always known about her there's an actually an episode of will and grace i think it's called will on ice because i was reading about it too where they talk about her a lot where um Jack and Grace are like, oh my god, yes, we have to go to Champions League. Oh, I saw that episode. Yeah, and they're like waiting for her to do the backflip, and Grace like puts her head down. She's like, did I miss it? Did I miss it? Yeah, I've seen that episode. That's funny. Yeah. I just watched that like not too long ago. I've been yeah. watching Will and Grace. Oh, I fucking love it. <laughs> but yeah. Like, they, uh, she was, like, that's what she was known for. I remember going to Champions on Ice when I was little and seeing her do backflips when I was, you know, that's cool. seven years old. And, <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. I'm glad that I have, like, those memories. I think I have a book somewhere of, like, a big, like, centerfold kind of thing of uh-huh. her. That's cool. She's the best. Well, thank Love you for her. sharing. Yeah, I hope that... Stuff I didn't know. Yeah, I hope <laughs> that you guys want to, like, learn more about her and some of these other, like, amazing black skaters because they're so underestimated and under represented yeah yeah it's not talked about enough and definitely with her i mean she competed in the same year that tara lipinski won the olympics and that michelle kwan got second oh yeah against exana by an amazing skater and you know yuko sato like i was talking about from japan an amazing skater so i think a lot of times she was downplayed and really portrayed in the media in a negative way especially after she took that medal off watch that video we just try to post that too because it's an amazing right. video i think but she knew her worth you know what she i mean did. she did and was, she wasn't gonna let anybody tell her that she she didn't deserve what she, what she yeah. deserved well um oh well actually i wanted to um address that we we touched on this a little bit earlier, but Madigan has created our Twitter account. <sighs> so if you want to follow us on Twitter, I, I just I don't know what it is. I feel like my brain is set up for Twitter. Like my brain is set up for like one or two sentences of something funny to like get it out there. Like that's yeah. what I use Facebook for. Oh, I used to be obsessed, you know. But I there is some kind of block somewhere in my yeah. in my brain where I'm just like, at this point, it's like a pride thing. I'm like, I am not getting on Twitter. I yeah. don't... I'm not going to do it. I don't even know how to use so, it anymore, so I'm still kind of learning, but I don't think we have any followers. But if... Yeah, we do. Yeah. We have I saw three your... followers. I saw, oh, okay. Well. Best Life Notes, Isaac Brinker, giving y'all shout-outs, and Gary Joseph Show. Oh, it's a podcast. That's cool. But the other ones are totally spam. But yeah, <laughs> if you want to follow us on there, it's 
See, it's part of why I hate it's fucking yams. Twitter. Okay, it was all the angry neighborhood feminist or anything close to that was too long. So I, it's, I hate I hate it's Twitter. Y A N F podcast. Right. Okay. So. Y A N F podcast. So go ahead and hit Madigan up on that because I am not checking that. Um, but and I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to be more active with it and. So if you want to follow us there, you can follow us there. We also mm-hmm. have, um, I'd say we're most active on Instagram. Yeah. Um, our Instagram is angry neighborhood feminist. If you want to send us an email, it's neighborhood feminist at uh, gmail.com. And I have that in the show notes. I've started putting that yeah. in the show notes. So Good. you can actually click on that link mm-hmm. if you're using like Apple Podcasts. And I've really, really enjoyed getting feedback from people. Yeah. So it's if been you guys cool. have an, anything positive or I don't want to say negative, but you know, if you have constructive, if you, criticism. constructive criticism for us or just feedback in general. Yeah. I, I totally mm-hmm. applaud if, well, in, in reference to these episodes, if you guys have anything that you want to share with us or stories that you want us to tell that are anywhere near these, I think I would love to read some stories about people who have oh, experienced yeah. similar things. If you yeah. were a young black skater or if you have a story like that or about just being an outsider in general, mm-hmm. like I think that that's something that we would love to yeah, so, hear about. So definitely um, send us your stories. Just shoot us a line. We'll definitely read it. Um, and probably read it on air if you want. Yeah. Um, on right. air. <laughs> we're on air. Right now we're so unpopular that we read everything. Yeah. <laughs> Someday we'll hire somebody to do that for us. Um, but thank you for uh, listening to us just chit-chat and share some stories. I hope you learned something. Mm-hmm. Um, and we yeah. encourage you to rage on. Rage on? Rage on? Are we ever going to say it together? No. I mean, maybe. Okay. One, two, three. Rage on. I no, was doing it the, Never mind. Okay, this is the most awkward sign-off ever. One, two, three. Rage, Rage on. on. Bye. Bye. God. <laughs> hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.